Dynamic Duo is back. It is time for your favorite podcast, Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald. I am the Beard, Kirby Smith, and introducing to you the star of our show, the man whose height is the only thing shorter than his hairline, the bald himself, Mr. Scott Schaefer. Well, that is a sucker punch. Wow, Chewy. Thank you for such a hair-raising introduction. Um, I shouldn't, but, but I just have a question. Shouldn't it be the Dynamic Trio? I mean, with that living thing around your chin and neck and all, seriously, it, it's great to be back, bald and bold as ever. My wife would be the only one that would agree, so I'll leave the beautiful part out. Well, I appreciate you giving my beard uh, its own person because it is, a, you know, it is a very full beard, so I, I get that. Um, but I don't think it's actually for full person; it's a half a person. And given that you're only five foot, you're really only half a person as well. So we're back to the dynamic duo, right? Ha! <laughs> So, Scotty, I have great news, though. I'm sorry, but the show's audience is growing every day, and uh, you know, and you keep seeing the reviews are good, and you can find us on a bunch more platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, and now they're saying, you know, we're on CastBox. You are fake news. So, before we get started, I want to ask a favor, you know, of all of our listeners, uh, I want to all in the go out to our Facebook page, Biz with Beard and Bald, and like it, and then share it with your friends and encourage them to share it as well. And then scroll around the page, follow our links, and comment on some of our posts. Um, you, you'll also get to see you know, my partner, Scott, and I, and find out why we just do audio and we don't do video. Uh, don't get confused. When looking at our profile pic, that is not me standing in front of a light bulb. That is, in fact, Scott. And so we are crystal clear, everybody. That is not me hiding underneath the forest floor either. <laughs> so, brother, is there anything from this past week you want to talk about before we get going? Well, since you did ask, I guess I will make mention of this. I will definitely sleep better now knowing that Kavanaugh was a virgin during high school. <laughs> On top of that, as if he couldn't be defamed anymore, it appears a judge is going to toss the Stormy Daniels defamation lawsuit out against Trump. And did you know, Chewy, check this out. NBA player in Portland Trailblazers, CJ McCollum's podcast, mm -hmm. it's averaging 58,000 listeners per episode. Really? I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. There's a few unique things. So I would suggest we start dribbling and drinking wine during our episodes, but I don't want you to have to go home with a stained face. Wait a second. No, oh, but he's got 58,000. Maybe we should start drinking during the show. Maybe we would get a little bit more listeners. I don't know. That, that could be a bad... Uh, <laughs> that might not be a great result. So, No, but you know what, Beard? We do have one thing in common, and with Christmas right around the corner, I always, I always joke around when, when I say that. They're like, what? But seriously, Halloween hits. Next thing you know, you're having turkey, and you turn around, and uh, it's Christmas. But um, we do have one thing in common, and that is What's if we that? get – check it out. If we both get a gift this year, and we open it up, and it's a comb – Neither one of us would part with it. <laughs> That's true. I love my cones, especially my beer cones. It's hard to find a good one. 
<laughs> Since we do pose as a business shows, it should be noted that both the Dow and SAP 500 closed at record highs last week. So I'm going to mix a little business and politics with the show, if you don't mind. I know this might, you know, catch some people the wrong way, but I'm beginning to think that Trump knows what the hell he's doing. I mean, there goes at, the show, P. Payne. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at the facts. The so-called expert said he wouldn't win the Republican nomination, and he did. He could, you know, they said he'd get crushed by Hillary in the election, and he crushed her. I am sick and tired. And, yeah, she's sick and tired of it. The markets would crash once he takes office, and then, you know, that hasn't even come close to happening. Um, he wouldn't know how to handle ISIS, and they've been pretty much decimated. He's going to alienate us from our allies. Yeah, he structured new already trade agreements with Mexico, South Korea, and the EU. Um, the list keeps going, going on and on and on. So, Scotty, I, I know you would prefer the president to get rid of that comb over of his head and just accept his hereditary fate like you did. But tell me from a business performance, how is this president doing in his first two years of office? Well, Chewy, first of all, Trump's hair is more like an airline that is flying backwards. I mean, have you ever seen him boarding Air Force One on a windy day? I would call him a receding airline. But I may also point out we have not had a bearded president, Chewy, of our great United States in over 100 years. So clearly the unbearded are doing something right. So who's the last one? Lincoln? You know what? I didn't come on this show to, to share my extensive knowledge in U.S. history, but I'll go ahead and answer your question, okay? President Trump's first couple of years have definitely had its stumbles, uh, putting it mildly. But, you know, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, uh, he was elected. He was elected for doing uh, to do what he said he was going to do, and that's what he's doing. So from a business perspective, I'd have to say this, and most notably, the pledge that he promised and then now has delivered on uh, to reduce taxes. Um, obviously, if you're in favor of shrinking the government and, and, and backing government's roll off, the rollback of the reg regulations is huge. Uh, it's a huge win for small businesses and owners. And then, of course, uh, the expanding expansion of oil drilling in the Arctic and Gulf of Mexico. So that would be, I guess, in short, where I would, what I would sum up his first two years from a success standpoint. We're a 40-minute show. I don't think I could go into everything else, and, and it wouldn't be just successes, of course. Well, it's, his two years have felt like four years. I mean, this has been exhausting. But uh, results from an economic standpoint, at least, and uh, at least for some form of relations and uh, uh, safety, it seems like you know things are going the right direction. So are you ready for our guest, Scotty? Chewy, forest floor, crumb-catching brother of mine. Bring this guy on. I'm ready for some perfect pain. I'm talking pee pain, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> I mean, are you Howard Dean excited? I am Howard Dean excited. <laughs> okay, so without further ado, I bring to you our next guest. He is an Iranian-American entrepreneur and author. As a child, he fled Iran during the midst of the Iranian Revolution. He built a multi-million dollar business, CarX Tire and Auto, a franchise of tire and auto repair shops that quickly grew from a single store in Champaign, Illinois, to over 16 locations. Despite him being the epitome of the American dream and all successes, he had a dark secret that he suffered from severe depression and addiction. Um, his dark journey to his past revisited a childhood full of trauma. His chronicles, he, he chronicles this all in his powerful story in his memoir and uh, book, Perfect Pain. Um, he shifted his focus on mental health advocacy, so he stepped away as a business owner and successfully sold CarX and Auto uh, 
to, I think it was through Monroe Muffler Brake, a New York-based publicity trading auto company that operates in 25 states. And he owns over 1,000, well, they own over 1,000 locations. Um, he's very heavily involved in his community through philanthropic efforts that include the CarX Crazy K, and that's a charity 5K race, which has raised over $300,000 for over 30 charities throughout its tenure. Uh, he is a graduate, including an MBA from the University of Illinois, Mr. Param Parastaran. That's how you say it, right? Parastaran? Perfect. Perfect. Welcome perfect. to Biz with Beard and Ball. I apologize if I messed that up, but uh, I think I like Scott's. We'll call you P-Pain. I like that. I like it too, and I'm also bald and beautiful. So let's get that oh, out of the way. Oh no! So I'm in yes. trouble. <laughs> well, well, with that introduction, and we know he stumbled more than Trump has, P. Payne. Or I'm going <laughs> You know what they say about beards and those that that attempt to grow them, and once they grow them, for some reason keep them. Growing a beard is a lot like raising a child, and you just hope it will turn out right, but you can never really tell until they're fully grown what the outcome of your nurturing is. And, and obviously, from that introduction, we've got some work to do. Some yeah, men, right. of course, simply are meant – they're not meant to be parents, bro. <laughs> so, Farah, before I uh, let my vertically and follically challenged friend go after you, I have to ask, what happened to the Illini Friday night? I was coming back from a high school football game and saw that the Illini were up at halftime. And I love upsets, and being from Illinois, even though I am a Hawkeye fan, uh, I like to see the program at least be a little bit more competitive. So what happened to the Illini? You know, I was at that game. I go to about one game a year, maybe one game every two years. I'm not a huge Illini college football fan, but I am an Illinois fan. And um, they are what they are. I mean, what happened was exactly what was supposed to happen. They, they're just not very good. And just they just, you know, Penn State needed two two halves to complete the deal. I also don't think Penn State was was uh, showing all their cards. I think they really didn't care about this game. And they did. They cared more about not showing too much of their stuff for the uh, for the films for playing the likes of Ohio State and all those actual good football teams. Yeah, I think maybe got their ass kind of chewed out at halftime is what happened. Man, that was like I couldn't believe it. So. Yeah, that too. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if the question, which has got to be coming around the corner, P. Payne, for the University of Illinois, uh, if not next year, very, very soon, is at least the college football program, if the question surfaces or arises to the Board of Trustees to go Division II, um, let's just say we do not want them taking a page out of the dare handbook. I mean, um, to say no would be a mistake. I, I really believe until they get their facilities, um, and you probably can speak more to that than I, I've been gone for a long time, but, um, there's just a lot of work to be done. And, and to be honest with you, and we've spoke offline about this, there's other programs that probably could utilize and use and benefit from the, the resources being poured in and the attention than that of this, uh, I wouldn't even call it a football team, and I would not call Lovey oh. Smith's beard a beard. Yeah, no, at least Lovey's got a nice beard, right? See, I actually think it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Amen. <laughs> hey, I, really I really do. 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 And I, I don't like to say something personal with somebody that's a nice guy. He is, a, he is actually a very nice guy. But, uh, it looks the like a wizard puked on his face. <laughs> like Santa, yeah, or Santa Claus, yeah. <laughs> We're well, enough about the you of who. Um, P. Payne, I, when most people look from the outside at success, let's, let's start there. Let's start with success, yeah. which most people don't. But we're going to start at the top. Um, they think to themselves that some people just have it. You claim that many of those people 
at least from what I've researched. Um, and some of the greatest heroes or icons are products of experiencing a great pain in their life. And that from that great pain, um, catapulted them or inspired, motivated, and ultimately produces greatness um, for themselves that they could then transcend to others. So first and foremost, thank you for recognizing that, especially the self-awareness discovery. And then there is a question here. Um, <laughs> could you tell us about what you had to overcome to reach entrepreneurial greatness? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the, the, the first thing that, that, that I had to overcome, which, you know, when, when you're doing it, you, you, you weren't really necessarily consciously realizing what you were doing. I didn't realize it till later, but really I was overcoming my own demons. Um, my, my desire to, to win, to succeed, to, to gain all the acclamations and all the admiration that the United States of America prides itself on and those things, then where you get the power is, you know, the money and the, and, 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 you know, being great at something. And so you, you seek those things. And, and in my case, it, it came from just a, a serious lack of self-esteem, which doesn't make sense. Because I had and did things with incredible confidence and with incredible will, but at the end of it all, at the at the depth of it, I was insanely insecure, and the the self esteem that that I could not regulate, I was finding in winning and achieving, and so that became why and how you reach those greatness. And I think this goes the case with a lot of people. You look at, you know, you know, big time football players or actors or, you know, really, really successful people, nothing like me. Um, they all had issues. They all had issues. And, and a lot of them use and channel those issues into doing great things, frankly, so they don't feel those issues. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there, we could really go deep in this, and I, I, yeah. I, I want to go deep in this. Um, I'm going to ask a couple of business questions because you know you've had to overcome. I mean, so my, you know, the, what's rattling in the back of my head is you have these self-esteem issues, yet you've been very successful. Um, so you know, how did you overcome that? And you know, and I, I've started reading your book, articles, and blogs you put out there. So what's the biggest piece of advice you can give to someone who wants to be an entrepreneur and start or run their own company? Uh, well, I mean, one of the things that people have a difficulty is, especially when you're talking about specifically of being an entrepreneur running the company, is that um, we analyze a lot. Okay, we, we analyze a lot. And why do, why do we analyze? We analyze to see, okay, this is a good business move, this is not, and then you do some due diligence and and whatnot. But then... There's a part of our psyche, and this has to do with our development, some of the issues that I just talked about, that get in the way. And what you end up doing is you start thinking about all the reasons why something that you are wanting to do doesn't work. And, you know, the phrase paralysis through analysis, it, uh -huh. there's, 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 there's real such thing. There's real such thing. And so entrepreneurs are, are, are people that do it, uh, maybe go through a little of that. But at the end of the day, they pull the trigger. The ones that don't are the ones that you know, you've talked to them, that they have a million ideas and they should have done this and they should have done that, but they don't. And then you ask, well, why didn't you? Oh, it was too difficult. Oh, it was too risky. Oh, there's always an oh something. And right. the reality is the oh something is deep down in their fabric and their core 
um, of psyche. And it's really not about doing analysis and doing a regression analysis and discovering that, oh, this is mathematically a bad, op, uh, you know, this is mathematically a bad reason to put capital into this project. That's bullshit. What that's really is happening is that's it's in their core makeup and their insecurities and stuff. And it comes out and play with them not able to be able to trust that they can do something um, at a high level. So, well, you know, well, you bring up a good point. So, you so as CEOs that you know that you analyze a lot. So, in, in your case, I mean, you had an issue, internal issue, right, that you were yeah. dealing with. How? So, if we're analyzing everything else, how come we're not analyzing ourselves? And we see that a lot uh, when we work with companies. A lot of times, we go in there, and, and you know, before we even start, we start to recognize and say, "Hey, the first step is to recognize you're the yeah. problem. It's not everybody there, else. You're the problem." Yeah, and and so I can speak for my case. So the, the the main reason that I started really digging into to my psyche and why I was the way I was, and then ultimately by going backwards, going forward to be able to have this discussion with you today. But mine came from from hitting some really bottoms, right? Mine came from having a fifteen hundred dollar a week cocaine habit. Mine came wow. from just being a ridiculous narcissist with grandiosity that was suffocating, right? Mine came from almost losing my family and my orphaning my children. So I had reasons that I recognized that I had to get help. Other people that you're referring to that that also need to look introspectively and also do need to self-reflect and look at those things. Some of their issues might be not as self-destructive as mine. They might be periods of self-destruction followed by periods of you know, functioning, you know, quite, quite nicely. And so they never reach a point at which they have to discover. I had no choice. I was either going to die, orphan my family or have my family leave and abandon me or get better. So would you say that's the one thing a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs or owners do wrong or is there something else that you probably give advice to people? What do you mean uh, do wrong? Well, you know, if, you know, if you give one piece of advice of what they, what they can do, what is the one thing you see that someone, you know, that most entrepreneurs do wrong? Well, they're not honest with themselves. I, I think depending on what level of entrepreneurs you're talking about, but a lot of entrepreneurs aren't really honest with themselves and why they're doing something. Um, when they're really, really, really wanting to excel and, and you know, whether it's because I want to make more money, I want a bigger house, or I want more power, or I want more employees, they don't ask themselves why they're doing it, and they don't drill down enough. And they might find nice, plausible reasons why they do it, and I think that's perfectly healthy. But if you really drill down or not, a lot of entrepreneurs are doing things for those same reasons that I did, is to hide some 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 deficiency that they had. You know, there's a short man syndrome thing that you hear, right? You see a lot of people. Well, what is that? Scott that's knows that's. That. Scott, okay, well, <laughs> I didn't want. <laughs> hey, PP, PP, it's down, PP, it's down to you and me, baby. <laughs> Listen, I'm a short guy too. Um, I'm a short guy too, but um, but but I mean that's that's the perfect example is is when you see this this the smaller person that walks around and wanting to be big and does all these does all these um, you know has great success and. And it's really just because they're 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 channeling it into something different and, and trying to hide something that they don't want to be and discover. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so PP, that makes complete sense. So let me take that and ask it in a in a slightly different way, um, because you mentioned something that I think if people are being truly honest, men especially, and I'm just going to be completely transparent and honest right now. That's true. Um, 
on a micro level, I think we go through, obviously we always, we all go through these peaks and valleys, right? But you brought up something and the words you use are words that growing up, my parents would use, my pastor would use, my coaches would use, my teachers would use, my siblings would use. Um, and finally, until I started using it about myself, um, I didn't make a change. And, and through cycles of life, that happened. And you said path of or path to self-destruction. So my question is this. Yeah. What, what can people, regardless, irregardless of entrepreneur or not, what can people do to avoid self-destruction? Yeah. So self-destruction is, it, 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 if you want to get real technical psychologically, it's narcissistic behavior disorder. You see this in transgressions that happen with really successful people, but they also, because those are famous and those are the stories we hear. I mean, the extremes are, you know, the Kate Spades of the world and, you know, actors and actresses killing themselves and overdosing. So that's that's the extreme and that's the, the, the those are famous people. So we talk about it, but this is happening every day. So the self-destruction is is best described as imagine if you are building a 20 story building, right? You guys set out to build this, you hire a structural engineer and they design a foundation for you to have 20 stories and be able to handle that. Well, we set out in life, we don't exactly know where we're gonna go, right? We may be a 20 story building, we may be a 200 story building. If our infrastructure and our core strengths aren't able to handle that rise, okay, then we but up against some of this core strengths that we have, and that's the exact moment where we have the transgression and self-destruction. So when, so if I was designed and I was built maybe to have an eight-story building and I start having great success, and that's the, where the narcissism comes into play and the grandiosity, next thing you know, I'm a 15-story building. Well, I wasn't built for it until I get some help and do some really work on myself. Then I can handle 15 stories, and maybe then I can handle 30 stories. But most people aren't equipped to to handle that. Their self-esteem there is not equipped to handle that all the praise and all the success. And then that's exactly where this self-sabotage comes in because deep down they don't really feel like they deserve it because they never had the fundamental upbringing. And so when they have great things happen, when they have success, they immediately offset it with self-destructive behavior. So there's some, hey, well, let, let me, I'm going to jump in real quick. There's some, there's some really great points in here. One, uh, you make, you know, not everybody's built to do that, but you make the point that you can, you know, redo your foundation and become Absolutely. that person. You just yeah. have to prepare for it. Um, the hard part is most of us don't know how to. So it's going back to, again, your question, right? You're it's going back to a lot of these business owners we see, you know, and sometimes I'll ask this question straight to a business owner. I said, what do you want? Do you want to be an employee of choice or you just want to be a glorified sales force? And, and they kind of look at me like, wow, I didn't really look at that look at it like that. And when I look at their company and say, you're just a glorified Salesforce, you're not an employee of choice. So aside from business, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there just, you know, again, in life, because there's so PP, there's so many, uh, success is relative. So there's different layers, different levels, right? Mm -hmm. So That's I guess right. I, I'm hearing you. And again, I know we're, we're way off script, but I think this warrants going deep into or deeper. And that is, from this perspective, because relative or not, you've had a great amount of success in your life, and you've also had to battle a lot of demons, um, and you brought up the athlete analogy, and, and I deal with athletes on other levels and in different realms and areas of my life as well. So here's a question, um, and I just want – I'm seeking to understand. I don't have any answer, mm -hmm. but going back to success, could it be that we – anybody who's had any kind of success, right – 
could it be that we self-destruct or put ourselves on that self-destruction path because we can't sustain or handle the success? Meaning once we've had success, we have to keep it going and the pressures to keep it going are there and the people to keep it going are there. And so do we maybe intentionally self-destruct to avoid having to deal with that? Yeah, I do believe. Yeah, I mean, I do believe. Well, I mean, by definition, self-destruction is is self-ruled and it, it is self-attributed. Now, the difference and the hard part to understand without getting into crazy psycho mumbo, psycho, psychological mumbo-jumbo is that um, the self-destruction that we're talking about is, hap- is unconscious. Okay, so it isn't happening where you wake up and being like, man, I am kicking some butt. So today I am going to go and sleep with the prostitute and get caught and then have my name written in the newspaper. Right. You get that? So we don't set out to do these things. So look look at people that really struggle with relationships. You know, they're in and out of relationships, really successful people, but they just can't get this part of their life right. And 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 if you start really looking at some people, some of the entrepreneurs you're working with and talking about, it seems like they do some things really, really great and then they do some things really bad. They're really good at the work, at the business and the thing, but they're a heck of an awful dad or a really bad husband or a really uh un connectable friend. They don't make good connections as friends. They all have something that they don't do good. And and these are just kind of unconsciously happening, but they don't set out to do this. They don't set out to fail or not be good at these other things. It's a rebalancing that is naturally happen on the, that's happening in your psyche until you become aware of it. And then you go, it's not going to happen. Parham is not going to let that happen. So if it, I'll give you a good example. When I would have really great success or I have a really few days and things, just everything is really, really clicking, I would find myself on a golf course gambling a bunch of money and losing at everything I did. And I studied this. I studied this over and over and over again. And, you know, I could then it got to the point where I could predict it. So if I was having great success um, with other things, when I would golf, I wouldn't gamble. I wouldn't because I would say I don't need to gamble and and I need to just enjoy the golf part of it. I don't need to put a dollar amount or another bet on it so I can fail to negate and offset this other area of my life where I'm winning. Well, P-Pain, man, I really appreciate you opening up like that. I mean, um, I know our listeners do as well. And and so unlike my bearded friend, I don't have anything (laughs) rattling. I don't have anything rattling in my head, but let's get back to business. Um, And with that said, culture and leadership, as you know, we teach and preach to our clients uh, what the importance of leading from the bottom up and empowering employees is to lead. Um, Could you tell us about your style and leadership approach um, today and and how that's evolved since starting CarMax? Yeah, Uh, I mean, this is an area I love to talk about. This is the area I probably take the most pride. This is the area that I say. If there's one thing I want my legacy to be as an employer and as leader is that how people look at me from a management style. So I just actually just wrote a blog on this, and you can see it on my website, Perfect Pain. But the blog basically talks about empowerment. And what I found over the years, and and I turned it into a competitive advantage, was that – People always talk about empowering their employees. Yeah, we, we're going to empower our employees, and, and, and then they're going to be great and, and you know, um, built from the bottom up and, you know, all of, all of the, uh, the lingo that you guys are both familiar with. But what I really actually learned in practice most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, my competitors absolutely couldn't do it. 
And I've told myself that if I'm going to be the empowerment kind of a culture, then I have to do it even when it hurts, even when it's painful to watch somebody fail. But our motto in our company was you can absolutely fail anytime, all the time, okay? As long as we study it, as long as we debrief, as long as we learn from it in advance, there's no penalty ever for failing. But we really put it into practice. I put it into practice because I made it so. I would give people projects. Like I had a girl that just started for me. She, was, she came from me as an assistant manager, but I started her as office assistant in my in my office. And I had the Crazy Cave at charity event. I had $30,000 budget for my billboards. I just decided one day I'm going to let her do it. She has to work with the designer. She has to to do the everything and, and, and spend that $30,000 on the billboards. And whatever happens, if they're just you know billboards around town that look awful, it's her responsibility. She's accountable for it. I watched her do it. She came to me, would ask questions. Hey, am I on the right track? Am I on the right track? You know, I give her a little bit of stuff, but at the moment I said, mm-hmm. hey, it's your, it's your choice. And you know, that was very difficult to do because certainly there was periods where I wanted to be like, you know, Gene, I wish you would um, do it this way, or I think you should do this. But I, mu- but I made it a commitment. But once I made that commitment, and once the people around me saw that, when I told her that she's empowered, I actually did it, well, then that spills over to the rest of the people in the right. company. And then it spills to the rest, and then the rest. And then the company really starts having this belief that, wow, this company is all about me taking some chances, making some decisions, and there's no way that Parm is going to come down on us for making a mistake and costing us money because because it's going to cost money to empower in the short run, by the way. Right. I absolutely agree with you, and that is probably one of the biggest obstacles I see when we go into companies. I was just talking to a client today. He had an employee who wanted the title and wanted everything that goes along with that, the money, but they were still refusing to make those type of decisions. And he was just like, I'm not going to give you the answers. You need to figure this out. And, uh, and he was trying to do what you're doing. And we we're teaching him that, hey, you know, empower your people. It'll start spilling over in the short term, just like you said. It might, it's going to cost. It's going to hurt a little bit. But you've got to swallow that and you've got to understand it. And I will tell you, I work with a lot of individuals. That doesn't happen. They can't do it. They'll start to see a little bit of failure and they jump in and they rescue it. And yep. you know, now you've got the CEO talking about you know what type you know how much tape do we put on a box in the warehouse i'm like are you flipping kidding me you know you got a general manager or warehouse manager to do that quit jumping in and doing this type of thing it's insane um you know another area i don't know if you could quickly come up with the 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 other area that this happens all the time is in parenting by the way can you see the analogy that's parachute parenting it's just not able to let them fail and let them go through the process because we just want to go fix it and then it does you no good you're better off you're better off absolutely claiming that this culture of this company is to never empower than it is to try and do it once in a while and do it selectively yeah i wish miss kathy would parachute parent curfew in his beard <laughs> <laughs> kathy's my mom by the way god bless her. I, I know she's listening or you know so uh yeah, she'll get a kick out of this um p i was reading one of your blogs and use the phrase never leave praise on the table and i think it's mm-hmm. you know great lead into what we we're just talking about and mm-hmm. i've and, you know i've heard you and use the phrase myself never leave money on the table and if you ever go out to dinner with my partner you'll see that that's his advice on tipping. Um, what, so what do you mean by never leave praise on the table? And let's get in the weeds about that praise. Sure. Uh, I, I, the, the, the quickest, the easiest way maybe to think about it is just maybe quantitatively. So let's just say every single week you have one employee, okay? And it takes about five chips 
it takes about five chips a day to keep the, that employee who's a human being and his self-esteem up. Because when his self-esteem is high, when his self-esteem is regulated and, and functioning better, he's probably going to be a better employee for your company. He's probably going to um, be a little bit more productive. He's probably going to do things at a little higher level, right? So it's five o'clock. Your shop is closing. And there's a kid who's had a tough day and you see him walking out to his car and going home and you know he's had a tough day and was making some mistakes, okay? And you say to yourself, you know what? Uh, I should go tell him, hey, it, it's okay, buddy. You, it was a tough day or you just, just give him a little pat on the back, okay? And just say, just you know, keep following the process. But then you tell yourself real quick, hey, I'll just do it in the morning. I'll just do it in the morning. No big deal. Instead of doing it tonight, I'll do it in the morning. Never leaving praise on the table means never do that. Walk out to that car before he gets home and give him those five chips of energy that he needs because that five chips of emotional energy and, and boost might be the difference between him coming home that night and having dinner with his girlfriend or wife and having a pleasant dinner, laughing together and maybe watching a show or him coming home and being a little bit down, his self-esteem down, getting in a fight with his girlfriend, showing up to work the next day pissed off because now he's also got a fight with his girlfriend or wife right. and then just extrapolate that extrapolate that over and over and i think once you leave it you lose it it's like a restaurant if it rains today and nobody shows up to my restaurant i kind of lose that day sales for the most part this doesn't recover and i believe the same thing with with emotional feelings and these type of you're trying to build up somebody and these are just chips that accumulate and just why miss an opportunity to say something when you should? And that happens just with a simple thank you at a, in the office or a cubicle or wherever you're working. And it's, it, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be anything grand. So tell Scott to quit picking on me all the time and my beard. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we're never supposed to leave anything unsettled or unsaid. So uh, That's it. <laughs> That's right. Here we go. So, Curfy, I hate your beard. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Uh, but hey, speaking of not leaving things on the table, P. Payne, um, and this is this is an important topic to me because, um, like many men or most that are married and have children, um, I struggle with life balance. I'm just mm -hmm. being real with you, and 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 I've struggled uh, worse in the past than I do now. But it's always it's always a challenge. So. What are your thoughts on, you know, when somebody says, and I hate it when people say this, you've got to be all in, mm -hmm. you know, and to me that if you're all in and you've already spoke to it earlier in the conversation that, you know, when you were all in, that meant making some pretty um, costly decisions and, mm -hmm. and one of which potentially puts your family at risk. So what are your thoughts on the approach uh, for life balance and keeping not just entrepreneurship, but, you know, business, life, working out, uh, fellowship, socializing, and your family life all in balance. How, how do you do it? What's your advice? Yeah, um, this, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you study the greats, okay, so now we're not talking by, by the greats. I'm talking about the Steve Jobs and the, you know, the, that, that level of people, the Elon Musk and the greats. They, they will actually say, and this is where we may part in philosophy, they may say the only way you can do these things is to be all in by the way you define it. And that means physically all in. That means it's 20 hours a day, 19 hours a day, and it's all in, and, and you make that your life obsession because we all know this. 
you know, when you become blatantly obsessed with something, probably it's going to happen. You're probably going to achieve it, you know, achieve something great. The problem is, and to me, the most important thing is that then you will have the risk of missing out on another area of life. Life isn't business. Business people think that they, their identity is being an entrepreneur. If you say, which a lot of people say to me, is like, oh, you know, Parm's an entrepreneur. I'll say, no, uh, my, my professional work is as an entrepreneur. I'm in business, but I'm a dad. I'm also a, a, a husband. Uh, I'm a friend to a lot of people. Uh, uh, I, I like to play golf. I, you know, I, I, I like them to describe me as a complete individual. If you get to the point that you're describing when people are just obsessed 24-7, you are going to make a decision and you're basically making a choice that I'm going to do this to sacrifice something. Because in this case, I unfortunately do believe it is a um, – it's a fixed pie. I don't, I don't believe you know, um, that you can expand it. It's, you have X amount of possible – chips and and love and and time that you can give to things and you have to make these choices and unfortunately this is why we see a lot of doctors divorce this is why we see a lot of really high high powered people um struggling in relationships and and god the worst one is when i run into people that barely know their dad and they say yeah my dad is the ceo of this company um but i never see him um it comes at a cost and my advice and to your point of your question is how do you balance that well i would just make a different choice i would say i'm going to be all in and obsessed with my work while i'm at work but then i'm going to shut it off because i am not ide- i'm not going to let myself be identified 24/7 by my work i'm going to be identified by part of a human being that has multiple facets to it it's not the greatest advice because it's a tough question. It really is. No, I mean, you're absolutely, it is a very tough question. Um, and I, I, I like your approach, right? When I'm walking in at 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, I'm all in till you know, the next 10 hours, 9 hours, 8 hours, whatever that may be. But then when I go home, I'm all in there. That's what you're saying, correct? It, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I think the one message that I have from that is is people should be careful how they – identify themselves and and what they think of as their identity unfortunately especially for men our identity is described by our work and we can do great work we can do fantastic work we could do life-changing work um but i think if you get to the point where that's how you identify yourself then there's no doubt that you won't be good and balanced at other areas of life so, so Forrest, you're you're okay, and you're in the clear because you just identified yourself as a part timer. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we we identify. Uh, I, I, would, I could go down a rabbit hole with him, but I'm not going to. So, <laughs> Pete, let's let's talk about revenue generation. You have to be closing all right? the time. So, what's the most important thing a new company can do, regardless of industry, in starting to drive revenue into their business? Because I know you've started your own company. So, what is the most important thing that you know you did? It's so simple. Don't ever think about revenue. <laughs> All right. So, expand on that. I, I want to hear this. Don't think about revenue. I like that. Never, never think about revenue. Never think about money. Okay. So, the second that you start thinking. Money to me is the scoreboard, is sort of an outcome, um, and I think that's dangerous. And my proposal, what I would suggest for any entrepreneur that's thinking, of, or especially starting out, 
is to try to identify the difference between what is a lead indicator and a lag indicator. Indicator, okay. Revenue, the sales, in my opinion, are are lags. Okay, they come after the fact of doing some form of process to get you that money, right? I would, I would, I would want people to focus more on the lead. How does the money get generated? So, for example, if I'm in sales, okay, I don't want to think about that. You know, I closed three deals um, this month. I want to think about the lead stuff and what attributes to closing sales? Is it by contacting 100 people? Is it by three times a day making sure I send a, uh, a thank you letter to so-and-so? I don't know what these things are. I don't know what business we're talking about, but this could be for any business. They all have something that's a lead generator. And by lead generator, I mean something that is a lead indicator, something that you can measure that you know if you did it really, really, really well, it will lead to the revenue. If you think about revenue, I believe that's too late. Does that make sense? Makes absolutely. I mean, you're basically re-engineering or dissecting it, correct? You're working backwards. Yep. And and so I try not to think about money. I try never to think about the actual sales and and, and look at the sales and try to think about the processes because if we all know that process is the most important thing, you need to really excel at the process. You can change the process. You can analyze the process, make changes and adaptation to the processes. And that's healthy. That's really great. And that's controllable. That's something that you can do tomorrow. That's something you can do today. But if I start thinking just in terms of sales and I get my employees to think about sales, then they will forget the process as well. And that's a scary proposition for me. If I feel that my employees are so worried about just making this transaction today with fixing a car, as opposed to doing the three things that are most important, that's really making sure that the customer is aware of what the problem is with their car and that they know what the repair solution is. They're doing all the customer service niceties and niceties um, correctly. That's what I care about. And I don't want them to ever forget that because the money will come. The money will always come. Right. Now, I think I think you're exactly right. And that's something we teach and we coach too is when we go into a lot of places, their managers and the owners or the CEOs, they're focusing on the wrong indicators, just like you said. They're focused more on the dollar amounts and what have you. And, you know, Tommy's bringing in 200000 How come Timmy's not bringing in, you know, that and what have you? But it's, you know, if they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing as a manager and a coach, they're more focused on the processes, right? Coaching to the conversations that they're having uh, with, you know, you know the, the individuals that we're trying to get the sales from and what have you. That's where they start to make the, the ground, not on just the dollar amounts. Um, I remember yeah, – specifically going into one uh, client where, you know, I walked in and I looked at, you know, all his sales uh, reports and basically I said, your sales goals for the week are 10 calls, 10 calls a week, right? He goes, yeah. I said, he goes, why? I said, because every single one of these individuals hit 10 sales calls for the week and I'm calling bullshit. They're focusing on the wrong thing. It's absolute bullshit. You know, they're just putting a number down just so they don't, they're not going to get in trouble for the week. Yeah. And if they if you think about too much of the revenue and and sort of the scorecard, my fear is always that that someone will abandon the process and I want them to with the process and I want. Yeah. And so I just I fear, you know, I I fear uh, abandoning a process as more of a a detriment to a company than it is actually making the sales. So speaking of process and I'm going to call bullshit on my partner. So (laughs) truth be told, P.P., what happens when we go in on these calls and these consultations and these coaching sessions is the team in which, you know, especially in this case when Beard's speaking, 
Um, the truth is, is what they really struggle to and with is accepting that his tatty atrocity on his chin is actually entirely intentional. <laughs> so, Pete, let's talk about your book, Perfect Pain. It's obviously, and I say that with much, much bias, amazing piece of work. But that's my opinion. Um, like this call, it's been dark, brutally honest, relatable, surprising. You've been inspirational. But moreover than all that, and something that's near and dear to my heart, the mental health component. Can you share with our listeners, um, and I don't think it's going to be just one thing, but the things you want people to get from this book and the takeaways? Yeah, you bet. There's a there's 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 several things, and I'll touch on them, um, not in great detail, but I'll definitely pass through them. So number one is – by me writing a book that's blatantly honest about my life, um, being able to tell you and the, and, and, and the people reading the book that I was sexually abused by a man when I was a kid mm. and that my parents were, you know, didn't really connect with me. I was raised very lonely. I had a lot of self, uh, you know, I, I was very insecure, you know, and, and shedding and being able to talk about that. I hope that people can become empowered to say, you know what, I can talk honestly about my life because people have a very difficult time talking about their issues in their lives and the difficulties, but they're very comfortable talking about the great things and the wins and the happy things. Well, we're all one of the same. So our happy things and our negative things are, are part of who we are. Okay. And so we can't, we can't, we can't put them in different compartments. They're, we're the same. It's part of the same person. And it's because we put them in different comport, compartments is where we get in trouble. So first and foremost is, is just being able to share an honest story and maybe getting people to be able to um, be more honest with themselves and, and not be afraid. Second part of it is that the book is called perfect pain. Um, what I want really to, people to take away at the end of it is that without a doubt, I wouldn't take away any of the challenges that I had. I don't take back that I was an immigrant in the United States during the hostage crisis. I don't take back that I was abused. I don't take back the 10 decade, a decade of so that I lived with this just awful demon and the depression and the uh, the anxiety and the cocaine and everything that went along with it, the damages that I did. I don't take any of it back. Um, it was all perfect because it, it all was part of who I am and I needed to incorporate that into myself and to become one person. OK. And um, and, and, and it helped me become integrated. And that's the number one on top of the fact that we don't talk about mental health. Um, I wanted to be comfortable raising my hand and saying, you know what, I had to get help. I needed to get help. I need to go see a physician. I need to see a doctor. I had maybe more serious problems than you two might need or, or you know, a remedy more than that you two might need. But people have a really hard time. Since I wrote the book, I can't tell you how many people in Champaign, especially of the who's who of of this town, the, the wealthiest and most powerful people in this town have reached out to me very anonymously to say, hey, I really could relate to this book. And hopefully one day. Some people can be more comfortable saying that it doesn't have to be a stigma, right? It doesn't have to be 
uh, um, you're not a bad person and it's and, and you're not weak because you say you have some issues and you need to go work on some mental health stuff or you have some depression. But flip side of it, we have no problem telling somebody that I just had knee surgery or that I got a bum leg or that I'm bald or that, you know, I, I need to go uh, exercise because to take care of my heart. We could do all the we can do all those things, but nobody wants to say I need to go um, for one hour a week with my doctor to take care of my mind. Uh, oh, well said. Oh, very, I mean, it's very inspirational. And, uh, P, I mean, I, I, I'll be the first man. I kind of, you know, put it out there uh, more recently that, you know, I, I have struggled with a lot of things uh, inside and from a mental state. And I've been trying to, you know, do the right steps to make that better uh, for myself and for my company. And obviously for Scott, because he has to put up with me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I think you really, I'm excited to finish the book. I haven't finished the book. And, uh, I, you know, you just really, that answer just really inspired me. So thank Good. you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, with the world, you know, to, without getting mushy, but, but just think about if everybody's going around and is just a little bit mentally healthier. Um, they're going to be nicer. They're going to be more productive. Um, the world will be a better place, I promise. Um, if you work on... Uh, your stuff a little bit more, you're going to be in a better place. And when you're in a better place, you're going to affect the people that you touch. And if and and that in turn will affect the people that they touch and so on and so forth. And while that sounds like a grand, grand aspirations from just this little book that I wrote, um, the conversation and, you know, thanks to you guys for having me on your show and being able to talk about this stuff. This helps, you know, if uh, if, you know, your your listeners are listening to this and a and, and couple of them decide that, you know, they want to go pick up this book and get a little inspiration from maybe going working on themselves. Um, then we are one step closer to my dream. Absolutely. All this touching has me thinking of uh, Kav- <laughs> Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> but. But seriously, oh, though. Oh, man, I give you it there. <laughs> so, so while we're all being um, transparent and, and open, um, I'll share a little bit, you know, sure. because I, I feel like I'm, I'm one that stays quiet and doesn't open up enough. <laughs> um, so here it is, my way to, to my bald life, P. Um, it's, it's pretty simple, but it's fully based upon science. The man who is bald in the front, did you know, is a thinker? statistically over men with hair regardless of testosterone levels and a man that is bald in the back here it is is sexy <laughs> so so here my what if you're both <laughs> well here you go so in 2004 um after doing this research and, and i spent weeks upon weeks and and mm. i warned my wife and she didn't want me to do it and i just you know I went for it. So I went out and purchased my six pack of Gillette razors, that is. And uh, I just shaved my whole head. And so now I'm I'm smarter, sexier, and bolder than ever. <laughs> you know, I've actually heard that. I've actually heard that. Oh, you're kidding me. I haven't. I haven't heard something with bald. I swear. Did you just make that up? I did. On like or, off the cuff. I swear I've heard something like that. Or maybe I'm, I just wanted to hear something like that. I'm just trying to fill time. That's why he's apparently in charge I'm, of sales farm. He's full apparently, of is it, apparently I just wanted to believe that. I, I swear I've heard something like that, but darn. Well, I have visions. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hey, before we wrap up the show, you've been an amazing guest, and thank you for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? Well, uh, my book, you know, at, at, 
I, I I'd love for people to to at least explore the the you know explore potentially reading this book and in the honestly the easiest way to do it is just uh, go to perfectpain.com um, read 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 some of the reviews you can read a little bit about the book um, there's now going to be uh, oh actually this is really important there's now it's just went live today um, I posted a uh, self sabotage quiz I hope you guys go and be the first ones to take it it literally just went live maybe an hour before this podcast um, and that's on perfectpain.com so right it's on perfect there's a self sabotage quiz you, and you can take that it's just a series just a, it'll take you about five minutes to do the the questions and it'll come back with a little bit of feedback for you and it's a little bit of uh a um, little bit of fun with it also, but there's some important questions there, and, I, and I'm just curious how people answer it. It's all anonymous, and and uh, I, I promise all that. It's been it's been legally prepared. Um, but yeah, go to perfectpain.com if if you like the stuff you're seeing. If you like my blogs, you can you know follow me on Twitter or uh, Instagram and all those things. And at the end of the day, um, you know just take care of yourself. Um, that's all I want people to do is really um, don't be afraid to take care of your mental health. Well, Pete, Amen. Yeah, you've been a great guest. And before we go, you have to ask the important question of the day. Uh, now, as you know, my friend here is a little light on top. And I want to make it clear, I do not have anything against bald men. Well, most of bald, most bald men. Uh, in fact, having a partner who's bald is great for business. When we're discussing projections and executive meetings, uh, it's kind of nice <laughs> to have Scott there uh, so I can rub his head and look into the future. <laughs> hey, but it is an advantage, a huge advantage, about competing in outside sports. <laughs> Seriously, though, I don't understand why bearded men are discriminated against in the workforce, while bald men get the pass. And it's, you know, I see it all the time. Police officers, you got to be clean shaving, and we want people to be clean shaving. And you know, I go back to some of the greatest people in the history of the world had beards. So, um, right. so we decided to bring this important issue to the forefront. Yep. And uh, we ask each one of our guests uh, which they like better, beard or ball. Now, depending on what our guests pick before you answer, uh, the answer will determine who does the show intro next week. So, to date, beard is up four to one against. No, ball. three to two. No, it's four to one. Who said Today's two? number five. No, never. <laughs> so don't feel bad for Scott, right? You know, I mean, he, he's used to you know a guy from Princeville, Illinois, beating up on a guy from Tremont. So, <laughs> and, and aside from the obvious, when was P, seriously, before you answer, and when you answer, will you please, 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 please let this man know that the, the, the reason is simple. Nobody has ever sat in a boardroom across the table and looked over at the boardroom and taken anybody serious that has last night's soup and pizza crumbs in their face. <laughs> well, this answer is just so easy. Um, Scott, it's the bald, obviously. That's my um, brother. It's the bald, but 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 to the beard thing, what is it with the beard though right now? I, I feel like everybody and their mother's growing a beard. Right. It, it's just uh, hey, where else do we keep our sandwiches and swords? I mean, it's well, when just did the this thing. come from? But I'm saying this is was it did, uh, did George Clooney start this and now everybody wants to look like him and like he became he all of a sudden you know went from a dumb actor to looking smart? Is that what happened? <laughs> Is that why he did it? I have no idea why he did. It. I will, you know, I'll, I'll give. You, I'm going to put it out there why I did it. I, I was always clean shaven for a long, long time. And uh, when I became a CFO and I started working for a company, that was much more relaxed. I got outside of the finance industry, and so I started growing a little bit of stubble. And my wife actually said, "Hey, I think beards are kind of sexy. So why don't you try? Can you grow one?" I said, "I don't know. I guess. So let's see." And uh, she does not want me to shave it. She loves it. So um, yeah, when she gets in trouble. 
she can hear the razor going in the bathroom the next morning. But you know, as you can see, my beard is very full and uh, well endowed. So she hasn't been in trouble for quite some time. I'm staring at you right now because on my Skype, it's a picture of you. That's all I've been looking at the whole show. <laughs> that was from five years ago. You should is it? Now. <laughs> I see a little gray in the front, and then it's 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 actually very nice. Well, you know, I think a, you're looking at the short version. You yeah, you haven't seen the long version. I'll send it. to Oh, you, you have, you have yeah. the the yeah. But hey hey hey, hey P. So yes. so so my partner went back home. He he failed to mention this earlier. Okay. He went back home, and his alma mater. Check this out. Oh, his alma mater. They're called the Princeville Princesses. No, it's, okay. it's, so, it's so can you imagine seeing right. a bearded princess? I mean, <laughs> anybody sober anyway has never seen a bearded princess until now. I like it. <laughs> That's great. Is that uh, really that? Is that true? Am I getting fooled again? Is that no, actually no, true? No, no. It's, it's the Princeville Prince Princess. It's plural for a prince, prince not princesses. He's a princess. Scotch Englishes. <laughs> That's funny. Coming from That's a guy who's stuff. a turkey. Um, anyway, so, Pete, you've been an amazing guest. I The content that we pleasure. have today has just been phenomenal. I, you know, I really, really appreciate you coming on. And actually, I think we can dive into so much. So I hope, you know, you'll come back on later. For Absolutely. Later day. And uh, maybe we can, like, just kind of focus on one little thing and just really dive into that. Because I think there's a lot, a lot to discuss here. And I think you've got a great story. So thank yeah, you for no, coming on. There is. I mean, there is. And you're right. A lot of these topics we talked about were great. And you could literally just pick a couple of them and just really expand on them. And sometimes that's necessary to really understand it. Yeah. Scott, you want to add anything before we wrap this up? Man, I'm just I'm humbled and, and so amazed by your transparency and candor, P. Um, and I'll plant this seed, man. Let's uh, let's let's keep our dialogue offline going. I would love to. Yeah. Uh, Let's yeah. plan a run. Let's plan a run across uh, from East Coast to West Coast. We'll grab a, a big old RV and maybe we'll let Beard <laughs> tag along. Let's raise some money. Let's raise some money for mental health awareness and go for a job. Oh, that's a great, listen, great, great idea. Listen, you're talking something. Now you're talking my language. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now you're talking my language. No, enjoyed it, guys. I really did. No, thank, thank you. you. Right. So, thank you. That's it. Another show's in the books. Never fear. Beard and bald are here to stay and will never go away. So until next time, friends, same bald head, same beer channels. Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Biz with Beard and Bald. Have a successful day. Hey, hashtag biz with beard and bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you're very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly 
and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.